Hello Balancers and a very warm welcome to our October series. This month we are focusing predominantly on health. Some of you may or may not have had a chance to already check out the schedule on our Instagram, but if you haven't, go and look that up. I will jump ahead and note that for the rest of the month, we will be focusing predominantly on neuroscience and how to activate your brain, which is a really, really exciting topic, something I personally am always so fascinated about and I enjoy reading about it. So stay tuned for that. But today I'm absolutely honored to have Sarah King on the show. She is a health coach in Sydney and she specializes in particularly PCOS and HA. So today Sarah and I have a really awesome chat about how we can optimize as women our training with our menstrual cycle. So we go through the different phases of our cycle and that really extends beyond what most of us would have learned um, or or been taught, I guess, at school or in our own uh, education. And what I found most interesting was the correlation between things I think and feel throughout the month at different times and hearing the science uh, behind those particular points and then kind of, you know, marrying that up with how it impacts my training. So I particularly found it super, super useful. I really love how Sarah delivers such difficult and sometimes complex information in such an easy to understand way, super, super relatable. And she also has her own podcast. It is called Holistic Health Radio, and I will put links to that in the show notes. I would strongly recommend jumping on and having a listen to some of her episodes, especially if you really connect with these. They are awesome. And she's also got some really, really interesting guests on her podcast as well. Some other interesting things we dive into today include intuitive eating and how we keep our hormones happy. If I have any gentlemen in the room that are still tuned into this episode, this will be really, really useful for you to understand perhaps your spouse or a close family or friend member throughout different parts of the month and maybe be a little bit more empathetic. But generally speaking, it's an awesome deep dive into the relationship between exercise and our menstrual cycle. I found it so useful and I hope you love it as much as I did. Don't forget to leave us a review or rating on whatever channel you're listening to and feel free to forward this to a woman in your life who you feel might need it. For now, sit back and enjoy. Alrighty, Sarah, welcome to the Balance Theory Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to be here. It's such an honor to have you here and I'm so excited to chat about you know, all things related to female cycles, exercise. I know you've got a massive background in all of that. Um, just before we dive into content, can you share a little bit with our listeners what it is you do and how you've fallen into your life as it is? That will be hard to keep, but I like hard to keep short, but I'll try and give you the short version. <laughs> sure. So uh, as a professional, I'm an exercise physiologist, a health coach, and an intuitive eating counselor. In a, I'd like to say in a previous life, I was a Pilates instructor, but that wasn't really in a previous life. Maybe in the future. (laughs) Maybe. Well, I did teach Pilates for over 10 years and obviously like COVID threw a spanner in the works for that. Right. So potentially Pilates classes coming online at some point, if I can coin myself. (laughs) But um, professionally, what I do is I mainly see women and help them find their healthy balance with food, fitness, and their bodies so they can have healthy hormones, have a good relationship with food, and exercise for the joy of it so that they can continue it throughout their lifetime. How I got there was a long and winding road. No doubt. Yeah, so I didn't actually know what I wanted to do when I left high school. I actually applied and started studying nutrition and fell into an eating disorder myself and just had a really terrible relationship with food. 
So I decided to stop studying nutrition because I was like, this is not a good mix. (laughs) And I went into recovery myself. And I always knew after I got through that, that I wanted to help other people who might be struggling like I did. I didn't know how to do it though. And I also knew that I didn't want a desk job. Mm-hmm. So I went back to uni and I studied exercise and sports science and then exercise physiology, always with a view to work with people that had mental health issues or in women's health. Got out of that, went into corporate health, stayed there for a couple of years, realized that probably wasn't for me. The corporate space? The corporate space, yeah. I loved helping people and I loved when we got to do like health assessments and boot camps and get people moving and that was great. But the admin would just (laughs) drain me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go into private practice. Started working in private practice, seeing clients one-to-one in a gym setting and also worked in a hospital setting where I did exercise therapy for people Um, that were recovering from an eating disorder or disordered eating as well as drug and alcohol recovery and mood disorders. And I learned so much there and realized that eating disorders in particular was my passion area. And alongside that came all the hormonal stuff that usually complicated things. And those are the two areas that I really just made my niche and my specialty. Okay, cool. And with so with all of your experience and and intertwining all your passion areas would you say the role you do now is quite unique in the sense that you've you've kind of made it made it yourself like it it didn't really exist and you've kind of owned the role now as is yeah so there wasn't any information out there on what was acceptable and what was okay to do exercise wise for someone recovering from an eating disorder. So I was part of this research where we put together the world's first guidelines for exercise and eating disorders um, called C's, which is safe exercise at every stage. And that was a lot of work, but a really great thing to be a part of and has kind of formed the basis of, you know, when I see clients, how I kind of explain to them this step back up to where they want to be with exercise and how we're going to get there and being that sounding board for all of the things that they've learned about fitness Mm. that may be more myth than fact and being that educator that helps them actually understand like this is actually the amount of exercise that is useful and beneficial for you and this is why and that why piece can be really important if you've been told so many different things yeah yeah i think there's a lot of information online so if you take out the complication of having an eating disorder already just your relationship with exercise can be so confusing like there's so much out there and i think like the why piece to why you exercise will really like determine whether you stick to it long term or not so i think it's it's really cool that you're a part of that journey for people to you know build a relationship with exercise and really find their why so i love that um And I do know that the concept of balance is something you focus on a lot in your own podcast. So in in your own words, can you just share, I guess, what balance means to you? That's such a great question. And I feel like balance for me is always changing. On a personal level, for my like daily balance, I guess, 
That looks like making sure I have a really good morning routine. Mm. Something that I swear by is like, I don't function without a good breakfast and some form of caffeine. Yep. And a few minutes to just kind of sit and have a peaceful moment before I dive into work. Um, Hectic day. Just have a moment. Yeah. I love what I do. I wouldn't change it for the world. I pour my heart and soul into the work that I do with my clients, into my podcast, into everything. But that morning routine is that giving back to myself. Yes. The second part of balance for me is making sure that I move my body. Mm-hmm. I love training at the gym. I always have. I feel like strength training is so empowering for females when yes, they kind so of agree. like catch on to how to do it properly without burning themselves out. Like mm. you don't have to smash yourself and do high intensity circuits yeah. every day. Yeah. You can still get amazing benefits by doing three well-rounded sessions. Mm. And then the last thing is always sunshine, vitamin D, fresh air. Mm -hmm. I am so grateful that I live by the ocean. That's so nice. And I work weird hours sometimes. So I'm up really early in the morning and I'll finish really late at night. But I usually carve out an hour in the middle of the day and... Even if it's cold, I am out walking by the beach, listening to a podcast or catching up with a friend. And that is my moment of bliss and balance, I would say. Yeah, that's so nice that you have a daily moment. Like I think for everyone listening, it'd be cool to be able to associate or identify like a single moment in your daily routine that you think like this is just bliss, this is peace. And I guess you probably look forward to that every single day, that, that time we get to go out. Yeah. So what do you do when it rains? (laughs) look out the window (laughs) I actually don't mind when it rains still going for a walk yeah I feel like the wind is the one thing that puts me off yeah like if it's like sideways rain with wind then I'm just gonna be like nah not doing it we're calling it (laughs) yeah then I'll do something like I'll roll out my mat and I'll do some pilates yeah or like even doing a bit of yoga or meditation just something kind of like to break up the day from sitting Mm because I do sit at my desk a lot yeah and I'm not someone that like worries about the fact that I might not be able to go for a walk in mm. terms of like how it's going to affect my body. Cause I know a lot of people stress about like, Oh, like what am I going to do if I don't, you know, burn enough calories. But my ethos is so different around that. And I view exercise as something that just makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I know that it helps me be more productive. So if I take that break, if I do a bit of movement, it's not much like, 30 to 40 minutes is enough. Yeah. I feel so much better, so much calmer. I can sit at my desk. I can get things done. And it just makes me feel like, yeah, myself again. Yeah, I love that. And one thing you did mention about balance is that for you, it's it's always changing. Yeah. Um, which is something I think is so important and something we try and empower people with as a tool. Because I think we all have this preconceived notion that balance is this standard that you're just sort of always trying to reach and you're always trying to get like a work-life balance but the reality is like you know when you run your own business like yourself or if you're a full-time parent it doesn't always look as clean cut as work and life and it's going to weave and wane depending on where you're at in life so I think that's a really really important point that it is constantly changing um, before we dive on to the next bit do you have like any memory of a time where you felt really unbalanced and could you maybe put your finger on why was it because maybe you were out of your morning routine or didn't have a proper exercise regime like 
Can you think of anything off the top of your head? <laughs> I'd say right now my life is pretty <laughs> unbalanced. <laughs> and um, why do you think that is? I like I still make time for all of those little things, but right now I'm working at least 14 hours every single day. And I know that my body can't take that right. forever. Yes. Uh, it's told me that because I hurt my neck. I like, you know, bulged disc in my neck, literally from looking at my computer screen too much, wow. yep. which is like red flags, listen to your body kind of warning sign that you can't be in this position for, for extended periods of time. And that was a moment where I was like, cool, I need to probably hire someone to help me. Yeah. So that I can lessen the load and just do what I'm really good at and focus on that. But at the moment, <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Still looking. If anyone's Still, interested, yep. you can send us a DM. <laughs> <laughs> Still looking. But right now that looks like I haven't been able to cook my own food very mm-hmm. much. I don't have time. Yeah. So relying on like my muscle chef meals like, yeah. and not being able to see my friends as much. That feels a bit unbalanced, but I know it's not forever. Yeah. And sometimes there is that bit of sacrifice and I hate the word hustle, but right now is a a small season of hustle for my business. Yeah. And that's important to me to honor that because I've worked hard to get where I am. Mm. And the fact that it's being well received now is brilliant Mm. and it's, it's what you work for. So you never want to be ungrateful for that. But then at the same time, you don't want to burn yourself out. That's right. So that little neck injury was my little warning sign. Yeah. Going like, this is probably a little bit unbalanced. Yes, yes. What I want to put to you just as a, as a question, could you maybe reshift? So rather than thinking perhaps you're unbalanced right now, would you reshift and think maybe that your balance scales are just tipping in favor more of your work at this point in time. And because your work, like we were previously discussing, is a blend of your life as well. It's it's what you love to do. It's, you know, it's what you do in your spare time as well with the podcast. And I'm sure it's things you try and do as well in your personal life. So would you say perhaps it's just that your balance is favoring that area of your life more at this point rather than you're being unbalanced? Because like you said, you're going through a bit of a hustle season and yeah. seasons change. Yeah. I would say it's just probably tipping the scales in terms of more of my business. Yeah. But I know that once I get a handle on that, I'd like to think that things will be a bit more settled in terms of like being able to enjoy the yeah. outdoors and summer and, you know, having a bit less time working on the weekends. Yes. That would be lovely. But, um, yeah, it's probably not the most unbalanced I've been. I wouldn't call it unbalanced. It's just tipping one side. A lot of eggs in one basket. A lot of eggs in one basket, but we're making it work. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, you're doing a great job from oh, what thank I can you. see anyway. Thank you. But maybe we'll find you a, a staff member from one of our listeners. I'll let you know. <laughs> I actually had a call right before this about someone and I was like, brilliant. I'm just about to go record a podcast. Like, shoot me an email and we'll talk later. Oh, perfect. So, but, but you know, if you're out there, if you're listening to this, and I might still be looking. Up. So hit me up, send me a DM. Don't be shy. Yeah. Alrighty. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the relationship. It's all women listening. This is going to be specifically important to yourselves. Um, the relationship between exercise and the menstrual cycle and specifically Well, let me just throw in a a personal anecdote. I know that coming close to that time of the month, like the weight I can lift just halves out of thin air, like overnight, it's like I go from doing four pull-ups unassisted to one. And it's like, where did my strength go? And so my question is, 
um, what in terms of how you coach and how you program, what's the relationship there and how can we optimize our training with our menstrual cycle? Such a good question. And I'm such a nerd when it comes to the menstrual cycle because Love it. <laughs> it is empowering to understand your body. Mm. And I think as women, we aren't really taught what our menstrual cycle is for us and how important it is other than we get a period. But a period is not your full menstrual cycle. Your period is the first week of your menstrual cycle. So day one to day seven. Mm -hmm. And exercise and the shift in our hormones play such a key role in how we can optimize our performance. So what I'll do is I'll kind of quickly break down how the menstrual cycle fluctuates throughout the month. And maybe it would be useful to talk about what kinds of exercise within those different parts would be really beneficial to focus on. Okay, so the first part of your menstrual cycle is your follicular phase. So that's day one to about day 13. So day one is the first day of your period. And that's when you start, obviously, bleeding. And that's when your hormone levels have dropped. Um, As you move towards day 13, your estrogen levels start to pick up again. But they're still relatively low. So in this phase of your cycle, you're quote unquote, more like a man, which means that you're... That's why we're so angry when they turn around and say, oh, you, you must be that time of month, but we're actually like them. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it differs for different people, to be honest. But that first part of the month is when you're super strong yeah. as well. So you're, you've got good testosterone levels. Your estrogen is actually helpful for you building muscle mass mm-hmm. and you're more, you're more able to tap into your glycolytic stores for your energy. So you're better able at doing performance activities like cardio, sprint training, endurance, because your body can actually tap into those glycogen stores and use them really, really effectively. So that's from day one of bleeding to day Day 13. 13. And it's funny I say this because people are listening and probably going like, I feel like terrible on my period like there's no way that I could get off the couch and move and and do burpees let alone (laughs) yeah so to that I say gentle movement always honor your body notice that maybe as you get towards day five day six you start to feel better Mm -hmm. and that's when you can start to get back into your strength training and really focus on building muscle in this phase because research shows that if you actually periodize your training to progress more during that follicular phase, you have better results. Awesome. And you'll understand that a little bit more when I talk about the second half, which is your luteal phase. So you go through your follicular phase, then you hit ovulation, which is around day 14 to 16. Mm-hmm. And that is your basically peak for your estrogen levels. Mm-hmm. And you are physiologically your strongest you're also you're that's when I'm getting the full pull-ups for sure yeah (laughs) you're also slightly more at risk for things like ligament damage Mm -hmm. because of that high estrogen level so if you are doing something like strength testing make sure it's not like super dynamic movements make sure you're focusing on your form but really challenge yourself there and then um, because you'll, you'll usually notice you're like, I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling strong. I hit this peak and then <laughs> it dips back down, Yeah, which is the second half of your, 
uh, menstrual cycle, which is your luteal phase. So in your luteal phase, estrogen and progesterone start to increase. So progesterone is the hormone that basically prepares your uterus for a potential pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good hormone, but it's also a pesky hormone because it can stop us from hitting those high performance levels. So basically, as both hormone levels rise, your ability to tap into your glycogen stores decreases. You also feel more fatigued and you generally feel more hungry as well. Mm-hmm. So progesterone can increase your calorie requirements anywhere from one to 300 calories a day. Wow, that's like could be it's a, a lot. snack to a meal. Yeah, yeah it's a lot. And a lot of women often say like, I'm so hungry. Like I just need more food. And that's because your high hormone levels increase your metabolism a little Mm -hmm. bit. So you actually just need a little bit more food. But in this... So do you normally tell people like to eat more when they're hungry? I mean, we'll get into intuitive eating later, but... um... I definitely do. For a lot of people, I say like, it depends on what kind of program that they are working on, but I'm like, I'm a big advocate of intuitive eating. Yeah. So I say to them, like, have a good quality snack. Make sure you're eating a bit more at your main meals. Like, add some really good healthy fats. It's really important if you add those healthy fats and you usually feel more satisfied with your meals. And if you are doing a higher intensity session, you'll probably need to add some more carbs in there so that you're better fueled for that workout. Mm. Um, So those are the few dietary changes I would recommend. I'd also recommend if you feel like your strength training workouts during that time do take a hit, don't beat yourself up. Yep. Use it as kind of that maintenance, focus on your form. If you can just get the workouts in, that's great. Still jot down what you're doing weights wise, but don't beat yourself up if you're not hitting that PB in your luteal phase because physiologically you're not really primed to do so. Yep. And while it's different for every person, and you might actually find it's different for every menstrual cycle that you have. So for some menstrual cycles in some months, you take a nosedive, and then the next month you're like, yeah, it was definitely a little bit less. Just bubbling a little. But not as bad. Why is that? Because we're not perfect human calculators. Yeah, we're not AI. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to tell you that, like, you know, it will be physiologically the same every single time. But you also have environmental factors. You might be more stressed from one month to the next. Poor sleep, all those things, yeah. Although hormones take a really big they are a really big factor in how we can program for someone we can't actually use that information in isolation we got to look at the big picture for someone and Mm -hmm. go like this is part of the puzzle but also like let's make sure that we're covering off other factors to make sure that we can optimize your training Mm -hmm. and just you being a healthier happier human in general and that's the way that i generally work anyways beautiful so Sticking with the second phase, the luteal phase, would this sort of be the phase where you would maybe do more things like Pilates? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So more like... So take your workouts down a notch. Still focus on your strength training if you want to. Just make it more moderate. I would definitely recommend just chucking in some other activities that keep you moving like Pilates or yoga or just doing like a fun activity. I think we often overlook... Yeah, we often overlook how mixing up your routine can just be so good for your motivation. Mm -hmm. So do something with a friend, do a workout outdoors, whatever's going to keep you moving, especially you tend to feel a little bit moodier at that Mm -hmm. time. Whatever's going to keep you moving, whatever's going to help you feel good in your body, Mm -hmm. do that. Cool. And what are your thoughts on like having a rest week? Would you 
um, like, you know, session that in at all through like programs? Yeah. So I generally recommend a deload week every kind of like five to six weeks at Mm -hmm. least. If you're someone that's training for progressive overload. So if you are really sticking to a well-rounded program and increasing your weight week by week, you will benefit so much from having a deload week. So I don't say it's a rest week. A deload week is where you basically like halve the weights that you're using. You decrease the volume of training. You give your body a chance to catch up, top up your glycogen stores in your muscle and your liver, have a little bit of a rest in terms of, because exercise is great, but it's also taxing on your Mm -hmm. nervous system. So just give your body a moment to kind of rest recover so that you can bounce back and go into that next block of training really revitalized mm-hmm. yeah well i've yeah i know what you mean I, I do have a progressive um weights training program and every well i should probably make it a bit sooner now thinking about it, but every eight weeks i try yeah. and do either a deload or a rest and then it's funny like the week after you come back it's like whoa shock to the system yeah <laughs> but it's great for like you know just like realigning the muscles or something yeah it's like they they wake up <laughs> They definitely do. And more so than that, like if you're feeling a bit stale with your training, yes, a deload week can often be what you need because you probably just need a little bit more sleep, a little bit more rest. Yeah. Was there anything else you would suggest for that second phase? Like as we near the end and as it, as it phases into the next period? Yeah. A lot of people have cravings mm-hmm. during that second half. And a lot of, I think a lot of women can attest to the fact that bef- the week before they get their period, they just want to like, demolished blocks of chocolate or if you're someone that likes something salty that's the time when you just need it yeah i think don't beat yourself up if you are having those things enjoy them the more that you resist trying to have them the more the craving persists and the more you build up this mentality that these foods are bad and you somehow failed because you couldn't have enough willpower yeah it's not willpower just have them, but include them as part of your day, not as something that's completely off limits and just have well-rounded meals otherwise. Yep. Beautiful. Well, we will chat a little bit more about diet and intuitive eating in just a moment. Yeah. Um, but I love that idea of really thinking about your training regime. Again, not, not in isolation, just around your menstrual cycle, but as a factor, as something else to consider. So when you do have those days where you feel like you're not hitting your PBs or you just feel like you need to shake things up, like, you know, there there is a base, there is a science to it. Yes. And so you don't need to, you know, I guess, have that guilt and shame on yourself. So I really like that. But I also think, and I know this is something you are an expert in and something you speak about a lot on your podcast too, when, you know, a lot of women have, uh, I guess their menstrual cycles are complicated by conditions like PCOS or HA. Yeah. Um, for them, following that cycle can be a little bit difficult. It might look like six months and it might actually look like one week instead of four weeks. And yep. there's obviously so many variations. So talk to me a little bit about those conditions and then how your advice may or may not be different for women who may be listening who yep. have those conditions. Yeah, definitely. So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome and HA is hypothalamic amenorrhea. So these are two conditions that are very, very common. PCOS is slightly more common. It's anywhere between like 13 and 18% of the population that is affected by that. HA is slightly less common. It's one to 2%, but there's probably quite an an underreporting there. Mm -hmm. Both present with 
similar kind of symptoms. And the biggest one is irregular or absent menstrual cycles. For hypothalamic amenorrhea, it's a lack of a menstrual cycle for six months or more. For PCOS, it's kind of similar, but they can be irregular. Now you look at these two conditions and you go like, oh, okay, like how do I know which one I have if they are so similar? And it is confusing. A lot of times, many women who are super fit and super lean often get misdiagnosed with PCOS as having quote unquote lean PCOS when they in fact have HA. Hypothalamic amenorrhea is a condition of low energy availability, essentially, where the hypothalamus in your brain senses that there's not an abundance of energy. It shuts down because it's like, well, reproduction probably is not a really good idea right now. Yeah. Vital organs. And you lose your period. As a result of that, there are other knock-on effects to other parts of your body. So you're metabolism down regulates a little bit it does affect a huge amount of different hormones but the main one that we see because we don't have it is and a loss of our menstrual cycle mm-hmm. typically this results from overtraining underfueling, or high psychological stress those are the main three factors and so it's not something that's like hereditary or you no. could be born with it it is uh, yeah. a product of your environment it very much is And it's reversible as well, which is also good to know. So reversing that and increasing your energy availability, which means fueling your body more, modifying or decreasing your training or having rest altogether and really managing your stress alongside looking at how are you sleeping, some potential supplements, a couple of other things can really help someone recover from that condition. Um, I personally suffered from that and got told I had PCOS for so many years And it was a complete misdiagnosis because I had no idea that HA was a thing Mm. and that it existed. Because I suppose if you've always had, like, I mean, I've had a similar experience, I've always had regular periods. And then when I changed my training routine, started strength training, I just stopped getting them. And um, yeah, like it would have been odd to have been diagnosed at that point with PCOS. Um, But yeah, so that's really interesting. Would you ever... Um, I might be going a little bit left field here, but what are your thoughts on the pill and using that as treatment for re-regulating a period? So it depends on, I always, I always say to people like we have medications for a reason, but make sure you understand the reason why you're using it. And if it's actually treating the root cause. Mm -hmm. So for someone that has hypothalamic amenorrhea, it doesn't really regulate your cycle because it's giving you a fake bleed. So those hormones that you're putting into your body, you know, they quote unquote regulate your cycle, but the bleed is just a withdrawal bleed from those synthetic hormones. So that one week where you bleed is just a withdrawal and then you go back to this kind of stable 21 days where you have some synthetic hormones in your body. So would your actual reproductive system then not be doing its job so you're not ovulating or anything you're just bleeding yeah so there's no ovulation there's no protection against your bone health which is a really important thing to consider so if you're not having a period your estrogen levels will be really low and that is a problem because estrogen for women is protective Mm -hmm. of their bone health yeah and we already are at higher risk of osteoporosis and osteopenia as we get older because of menopause Mm -hmm. so you really want to make sure you have as much natural 
estrogen, so your own estrogen coming from your own natural menstrual cycle, in your body as much as possible. So for HA, the pill masks the condition Mm -hmm. and doesn't fix it. PCOS is kind of the same. For someone that has another condition, for instance, let's say really bad endometriosis where they bleed incredibly heavily, so much so that they cannot function in their day-to-day life, for them, the pill can be a lifesaver. Yeah. But it's very much dependent on the condition that you're struggling with. PCOS, is it very different again from HA? So PCOS, people here are polycystic ovarian syndrome and they're like, oh, it's a problem with my ovaries because I have multiple cysts on my ovaries. That's what most people classically think of. And yes, that can be a symptom. Mm-hmm. But the origin of why it happens is different. So the most predominant cause of PCOS is insulin resistance. And insulin resistance has an impact on your ovarian function. So insulin resistance along with high androgen levels. So those are things like testosterone. Have an impact on your ovarian function. And that's what causes your irregular menstrual cycles and potentially those cysts on your ovaries. Other symptoms that go along with PCOS are things like hirsutism, so excess hair growth, mm-hmm. trouble losing weight, or you can really easily gain weight without really changing anything in your exercise routine or what you're eating. You need um, there's different there's different hormone tests as well, obviously, to see what your insulin levels are like and your androgen levels are like. But you need to have at least two of those symptoms to be classified as having PCOS. Mm-hmm. And the last thing to make sure you note is that that ultrasound that you would get on your ovaries is only relevant for someone after eight years of them beginning their menstrual cycle. So when you first start your menstrual cycle, it can often look like your ovaries have multiple cysts because there's just multiple developing follicles. Mm -hmm. So within that younger, I guess, population, you need to really make sure that you are getting the right diagnosis because you can be misdiagnosed so easily so how would someone in their first eight years of their cycle i mean um i I know people quite close like personally that are in that age bracket um that have irregular periods and have been diagnosed with pcos for them what would be an alternate way to determine whether they actually have it i think it really comes back to the origin of where it started and being really mindful of what was happening to your body at that stage So were you exercising a lot more and did you change your diet at that point or did you have no change in your diet and did you feel like your weight increased for no obvious reason? Mm -hmm. So for one, that could be like mm, more classic HA stuff. For the other one, potentially PCOS. Also those other symptoms, do you have the excess hair growth? It's very, very common in people that have PCOS, Um, not as common or and acne. That's the other one. Not as common in HA, but kind of can be sometimes. Mm -hmm. The biggest one is the difference in the hormonal profile when you get a blood test result. So I'm not going to go into that on this because people, if you do, like if you do assume that you have this kind of issue, it's something that needs to be looked at very, very carefully by your GP and potentially by an endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have a three-part series on my podcast. Yes, we'll link it um, below. So if anyone wants to know a bit more about it, um, you can just jump over and check that out too. And that is all about how to get the proper diagnosis, 
what is the relevant treatment in terms of nutrition, lifestyle, diet Mm -hmm. for PCOS versus HA? And then the third one talks about supplements, which can be helpful for the two different conditions as well. So it really covers all of the bases there. Perfect. Um, And just just to bring the... I know we spoke about the pill um, as as a potentially problematic in masking um, the wrong issue. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Um, like obviously you said for endometriosis, it's, it can be a really positive thing. Have, but have you ever personally like recommended someone to go on the pill or what are your um, honest thoughts about it as, as a treatment? Because a lot of people I think are very confused by, you know, cases coming out of America. And I think long-term studies are yet to really show any long-term impacts because it is sort of on the newer side and, and it has gotten better, I guess, as years in science have developed. But as a as a medicine that's readily available to a lot of women who may not have a lot of information what i guess are your thoughts i think first and foremost we should be so grateful that we can prevent pregnancy if we don't want it because that's not been an option for women for a really long time Mm -hmm. so yes the pill is safe and it is a personal choice of whether you will go on it for various different reasons Mm -hmm. I don't ever push women in one way or the other. Yeah. I help them make that informed choice by giving them information about the pros and cons of the pill. Of course. But um, I think there's a lot of fear mongering around it. And a lot of that has to do with people's personal experiences on it. I've not had good personal experience on it. Yeah, but some people have taken it and never had any issues. Mm-hmm. And they've been fine. So I'm always saying to someone, and usually my clientele are coming to me because they have PCOS or HA, mm-hmm. I usually say to them, I was like, look, nothing's off the table. You have to consider what you want to use in terms of preventing pregnancy if you are in a relationship, and that's a very personal choice. But if you are trying to fix the root cause of your irregular menstrual cycles, well, let's really try and tackle that from the root cause point of view first for at least the next six months and see what happens Mm. and then from there if it's still not going in the direction that you want it to let's you know consider it consider discussing with your doctor what is the next best step for you yeah so for something like pcos you did mention it's um like at the root it's it's an insulin resistance yeah so the pill in itself doesn't do anything for insulin resistance or no. in, in aiding that. Right. No, okay. no. And I go into that in the in this podcast series yep. and it's really about tackling that insulin resistance that will be really beneficial for someone with PCOS. Yeah. And that in turn will help lower your androgen levels and that will really help improve your symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the reality is that this like this syndrome affects so many people in different ways That's right. which is like you know i wish there was like this perfect cookie cutter treatment plan that we could give for everyone but there isn't so the best thing is to work with a practitioner who really looks at every single aspect of your lifestyle and helps you make informed choices that also fit in with your daily life yeah. i mean this podcast is all about balance because um, there's no point in adopting things that you couldn't do forever in a day. That's right. And I'm totally like, very much aligned with that. You know, to do something for five minutes, do yeah. it if it's going to be a long-term shift. Um, just for anyone listening who uh, might think they have HA or PCOS, so we spoke about training, uh, I guess, with your menstrual cycle to yeah. optimize your training experience. For those people who 
their cycle might be six months or longer or you know very irregular um do you have any like training tips for them in terms of how they can optimize their training yeah so for hypothalamic amenorrhea you have a complete absence of your menstrual cycle from low energy availability so training in that respect should take a back seat yeah in that case you're doing very low intensity movement you're doing things that are really regenerative and restorative it restorative if you are doing strength training, it's quite modified. The intensity level will be quite low. And that is not forever, yep. but that is to allow your body to get to a point where your brain is like, okay, like we don't feel like we're in a famine anymore. We're not super stressed. Our menstrual cycle can return. And then slowly, and I want to emphasize slowly, you can get back to training yep. at a higher level as long as you have that nutrition component covered so you're fueling your body properly Mm -hmm. in terms of pcos where we're really trying to tackle that insulin resistance and your cycle is super irregular it can be a bit of like a mind puzzle to try and figure out what phase you're in Mm. so for that i just say maintain consistency the most important thing is that you're getting some strength training in because that can help lower your your body's glucose levels without the presence of insulin. So there's another glucose transporter called GLUT4, mm-hmm. which happens when you basically get muscle contraction and you get more muscle contraction when you're doing something like heavy strength training. So it releases this hormone mm-hmm. that helps shuttle glucose into your cell and lowers your blood sugar levels without you having to rely on, on insulin, which we know isn't being regulated properly within the body during insulin resistance. So that, you know, if you're training three to four times a week with weights, that's really, really great. And keeping up your daily movement as much as possible. Mm -hmm. If you're staying stagnant, it doesn't help your blood sugars regulate that much. And I'm not saying that someone should be moving around all of the time, but break up periods of sitting with standing and stretching and try and get some short walks and steps in as a really summed up way of how you tackle it yeah and no doubt this is very much um just a skim on the surface it of, is yeah i guess the wealth of knowledge you have but again all um like you've done a deep dive into a lot of these topics on your own podcast i'd highly recommend anyone who's really interested in this content or you know like personally aligns with it to either reach out or just to do a deep dive into your yeah your show it's definitely awesome. i'm always on my dm so you can always have a chat if you're interested and have a question Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Um, so I want to move into a little bit about intuitive eating. And this is something I um, very close to my heart. And I just think like one day you might want to eat like a kale salad and the next day I might want an ice cream. And that is cool because life is about balance. It's about listening and responding to what your body needs and wants and having that positive relationship with food. I actually had um, a podcast not too long ago with a young lady. Her name is Kath Ebbs. And we spoke about how when you label food as good or bad instantly that's your mood when you eat those things and so it's all about how you perceive those foods Um, but I would love for you to share your own experience with intuitive eating and if you have any tips on how people can learn how to intuitively eat yes I feel like intuitive eating has become a buzzword yeah and because it has people are often confused about what it actually means Mm. so intuitive eating in its simplest form is listening to and honoring your body Mm -hmm. through food, through movement, and through being kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
Um, There are 10 principles, and I won't go through what they are, but it's basically about stopping the food police, taking quote-unquote good foods off a pedestal and bringing bad foods up to the same level. And even though we know that nutritionally speaking, an apple and apple pie are two different foods, one is not good or bad. Mm, That's right. They're just different. They provide your body with different things and you shouldn't have this resounding guilt or shame from eating one over the other. Sometimes one's to fuel your body and the other one's to fuel your soul. So it just depends what you need, right? Yes. (laughs) I always say like we do eat sometimes to nourish our cells and what our body needs. And like you said, the other time we nourish our soul because food is more than just energy. Mm -hmm. It brings us together for social experiences. There are memories created around it. There's culture embedded in it. And they are aspects of eating that are just as important as day-to-day fueling. That's right. And that's a really nice balanced way to look at food, actually. That it's, you know, I mean, a lot of people have specific goals. And I think that's when you do really need to hone into, you know, stricter, I guess, regimes when it comes to eating. But as a general, like, human being living life, intuitive eating is like really the way to go have you got any personal experience with how you kind of came into understanding your own intuition when it comes to food (laughs) so i was obviously going through recovery from my eating disorder for many many years and that requires you to be on a meal plan essentially Mm -hmm. and i didn't know how to eat normally i didn't have hunger cues I didn't have fullness cues because I had ignored them for so long and I was like how do I get these back and that's when I started learning about intuitive eating and so much so that I became an intuitive eating counselor (laughs) but it really taught me about like what is gentle hunger and for me if I couldn't initially feel that like rumbling in my stomach I started to notice the other signs of I found it more difficult to concentrate my thinking kind of turned to food And I thought about like food would probably be like a good idea in the next hour or so. I learned, you know, what fullness felt like and how to kind of comfortably sit at satiety instead of overstuffing myself, which, you know, happens in holidays and stuff like that. It's totally fine. Christmas is happening. (laughs) Yeah. But it helped me get over food fears and food hangups that I had and, you know, get over these silly food rules I had about like, you know, if I had a curry and it had potato in it, then I couldn't eat rice because that was like two forms of carbohydrate, but my body doesn't care. Mm. And that doesn't make these two foods together a bad thing. And I feel it is just a really good approach to help neutralize food Mm. and really give you a respectful relationship with it that has a lot of give and take because there is no black and white with intuitive eating. Mm. There's lots of different shades of gray. And it also taught me that movement could be fun and it didn't have to be this super strict thing and that nutrition still mattered. But if I looked at it as a big picture idea versus like worrying every day if I had the perfect amount of protein or Mm -hmm. carbs, then it was a much easier way to kind of navigate my life, navigate the world, be more flexible and inclusive. And Mm -hmm. I think whatever your goals are, if you can have a relationship with food that is more flexible and inclusive Mm. and helps you honor what you need that day, then you are winning 100%. Yeah. No, and I love everything you've said there. And I've personally had an experience where I've tried to calorie count 
and it probably wasn't a great experience because my end goal was like not clear I didn't really have like a why am I doing this it was just more I want to I just wanted to try it and, and have a stricter diet but without really a vision yeah but um I found it really really restrictive I found I started resenting all these foods that I loved mm. just because it didn't fit in my calculator yeah and at the end of the day it was a diet that didn't fit with my lifestyle and I was trying to box my lifestyle into this diet and Mm -hmm. it was not for me long term yeah um so yeah changing my mindset and neutralizing food like just the way you phrased it like that I think is a really good takeaway for someone who might be listening and feels like they're a bit restrictive or um perhaps have had a similar experience yourself where they've suffered from some kind of disorder or are suffering yeah um you know, I think neutralizing food is a good way to go. But obviously, like seeking professional, professional help, help. Yeah. is a big one. Yes. Um, uh, people like yourself who who really can give a full spectrum yeah. download of knowledge um, yeah. when it comes to intuitive eating. Because it's more than just food, right? Like you yes. had to change your mindset around it. Thoughts and yeah, you know, beliefs. daily practices, habits, rituals. It, yeah, of course, it, it's a whole package, really. Yeah. yeah. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you one more thing. Sure. How do we keep our hormones happy? Do you have any tips? Um, so live in a bubble. <laughs> and <laughs> um, don't pop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pesky little hormones, they don't like stress. Yeah. Stress comes in many, many forms, um, both physical and psychological. And some people are more vulnerable to disturbances in stress levels than others. Like some people's hypothalamus is really resilient against things that they go through and they'll never lose their cycle other people like my first period stopped when I had exams Mm. and I was like oh my gosh like why did this happen and it was my body saying you're really stressed about these exams and we're just going to focus on that only (laughs) yeah my biggest tips for keeping your hormones happy are regular fueling Um, I'm not a big advocate for people doing intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. for a lot of females that are like generally within like a healthy weight range. It's not giving you anything over and above just eating normally, normally. Um, even if you are trying to be in a deficit, you can still be in a deficit and eat regularly. It will be better for you in terms of your training, Mm. um, having enough carbs as well. We are a carb phobic society i always thought if there was a word to say like a carb phobia yeah yeah (laughs) and if you're thinking about your hormone levels your luteal phase where your progesterone is predominantly produced loves carbs so luteinizing hormone which is what helps you through your luteal phase produce more progesterone um, is linked to the pulsatile kind of response of insulin So if you're not having carbs, if you're not having those little pulses of insulin throughout your day, it's not helping your luteal phase. It's not helping your luteinizing hormone. Eat enough carbs. Don't be afraid of them. They are delicious. They help you stay satisfied. Make you happy. They make you happy. Um, And then the last thing is healthy fats. Mm -hmm. Obviously, protein always fits in there. Mm -hmm. But healthy fats will help your hormones as well and keep your hair, skin, and nails glowing um what are your favorites oh i love well right before we came so i love like whole eggs mm-hmm. whole eggs are a good source of protein and a good source of fat avocados mm-hmm. nuts and seeds if i had to pick one that i would eat all day every day it's like nut butter oh yeah or dark chocolate <laughs> peanut butter too. dark chocolate yeah all of those olive oil on your salads or roasting with your like roast them uh roast veggies mm. 
salmon i love salmon too. yeah salmon. yeah oily fish it's great oh, speaking so about intuitive eating i'm getting hungry now <laughs> i know i know i think i know what i'm having for dinner now i actually have to go food shopping after this so <laughs> <laughs> salmon and avocado with pretty much olive oil salad it sounds yeah like. <laughs> yeah my go-to is salmon and soba noodles me and... too i made that last night oh there you go That's great minds favorite. think alike mm. yeah and I always put like some cashew nuts because I love a bit of crunch in there. Mm. Yeah, it's good to mix up the textures. Actually, you're the second person I've had on the show that said, do not be scared of carbs. Like, Yes, do, don't be everything. scared of carbs. Mm. Um, you will literally be a better functioning human, human and a happier one. Mm. Your moods will be way more stable. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. And I think that's a really nice spot to end this lovely discussion on. I want to thank you so much for your time. If people uh, want to know more have like can they jump onto your website and yeah. and instagram's your favorite place to get contacted i am most active on instagram my handle is at sarah liz king i'm sure you'll put that yes in i'll the pop it all below and i'll pop the podcast too which is holistic health radio perfect yeah i don't think that one has its own instagram does it? it doesn't yeah. i don't think i i think i, I think would you put explode enough content, <laughs> you put enough content on your personal but yeah. that's obviously available on all streaming platforms as well yeah yeah um, but it will pop links to um the website and i'll also link your three-part series on PCOS versus HA because I think that's that's really key and yeah. a lot of people listening might, might be really interested in that too yeah so thank you again for your time it was really nice chatting thanks for having me I had such a great time no problem until next time bye guys see ya and that's a wrap for this week balances thank you so much for tuning in I hope you found this episode useful to some degree in either steering or determining your definition of balance today As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it, or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. If you have any suggestions for up and coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the balance theory and our email is the balance theory podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop so you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam, we promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced. Stop, 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 stop.